1: Um, okay. Welcome back to talking Knicks. We got our ladder picks episode coming up here. Um, I mean, we had, we had our first round number eight pick episode last week, and now we're coming back for some more with the 27 and 38 pick. So I'm back with Tom, Kenny, and David. Just like last time, I mean, it, not much has happened in, in the interim, but we'll, we'll see how everyone's doing. Tom, how are you? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's Talk Knicks.
2: Sorry about that. I'm a little rusty. Tom, how are you doing? Hey guys, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I don't know how you're rusty though. We did this like 48 hours ago, the same exact podcast. Yeah. It really
3: threw off his
1: groove.
2: Tougher than it looks. We, I mean,
1: yeah, I'm off my groove. Like Kenny said, we
2: we record once
1: a month, not once every
3: three days. It's like when NBA players have a back to back, he's just fatigued making mistakes already.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, no, I'm doing well. Um, Having a nice little weekend. Kenny and I actually went for a hike. Pretty much just the two of us, the two of us and our dog. We had a, another friend. I don't have a dog with Tom, his...
3: just so everyone knows. Tom has his own dog that he brought. Go. Good
2: clarification. People might get confused. Um, yeah, but we, were, we had another friend and, and his wife were going to join us, and they, they bailed kind of last second. So it was just me and Kenny going for a hike in the <laughs> woods. And it was a nice time. We had a good time. Uh, afterwards, we went and grabbed some lunch and a beer and uh had ourselves a nice little day but I'm a I've also done a little digging into some some later round prospects so I'm ready to talk to you guys about it
3: Yeah and I'm I'm going to jump in without anyone even asking me how things are going cuz I feel like Tom set me up there Um me and Tom already talked about this during our hike so like this is just a rehash of what we did but I want to go back to Tom's point about our friend who bailed on us um we are both probably probably 30 to 40 minutes away from this hike site, um, and his decision was that we were going to go at 9 a.m., our friend who bailed on us. So Tom and I are both like five minutes away. It's like 8.55, because that's how meeting there at 9 works, and our friend texts us, oh, we're not going to make it. <laughs> and uh, so I was just like, well, that's that's fun. So I uh, pulled into a parking lot and called Tom. I was like, "I guess we'll still just go without them, even though he is the only reason we're here at 9 a.m." But like Tom said, we went out, had a good time, and uh, talked about some some basketball.
2: And we got a dog together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, Bring it, BD. How are you? How are you, fellas? I'm I'm well. Getting really excited for the draft because it's. First thing in a while that like I've had to look forward to as far as live events, football's been happening, so like I watched that. Giants won today, that was good. But uh I'm excited for basketball stuff to be happening. I'm excited for the draft to kind of kick off everything because then free agency's coming right after that, and everything else. Season's really close, so that's good. Uh, outside of basketball. Been Still been on vacation. I watched all of uh, Queen's Gambit in the last 24 hours, so back on my TV watching Groove. Um, nice, BBD.
3: We should talk about that, because after I watched that, I became a chess player.
0: Ooh. I didn't yet, but I, fi- only, I only finished like an hour and a half ago, so it's right. time.
2: Greg, did you watch the Queen's Gambit? How are you doing?
0: I did see
1: it. It was good. I, I started playing chess. I played Kenny. Lost every time we played. So now I'm not a chess player anymore. No, no, I, no, I have to figure something new out.
0: I haven't been playing chess yet, but I've been thinking about the Scooby-Doo chess set I had at some point in my youth, and how it has to be in this house somewhere, and I gotta look for it because I just wanted to like touch the pieces again. But nice. I'm not gonna play with anybody. <laughs> oh man, I was looking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just I'm, I'm always looking activity. for friends to
3: play with.
2: I watched the first episode, and I thought it was solid, but I haven't really continued. So I guess all of you are saying I should I should keep going and, uh, and go on the I'm, Queen's Gambit journey here. So I think I will. I'm going to be
3: honest with you. The first episode is like a setup for the rest of – like it's completely like – it's mm. a whole different cast of people after the first episode.
0: The janitor
2: doesn't come back?
3: Not oh, really.
0: Not in an active role. Yeah, um really. it's good i john boy ad was tweeting at me asked me what i thought of it because i tweeted out just the person saying queen's gambit and then i said oh that's the name of the show um because that's a good that's just a go-to joke yeah and uh he asked me if he should continue because he was on episode four and planning to bail and i'm not a guy that quits shows but i was like i don't know i liked it that said, if you haven't really loved it at the point you're at, I like the yeah. first five episodes more than the last two. But I, I pitched uh, in a
1: comment at John Boy as well. There, I, I, I said uh, you could probably just guess the the plot if you want to, and you'd Is be that right. right. Yeah.
2: After the fourth episode, you can kind of guess uh, the rest of the after way. After the
1: second episode, you can just guess what's going to happen in the entire show. Yeah. I'd say
0: after the third is when you can really guess. I mean, for you, it's probably
1: the third. For me, it's the second.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Like, looking back at it, I don't know why I was so intrigued, but I liked it. And I agree with your analysis that if you don't like it by the fourth episode, like, probably no reason to keep going.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... at the same time, you're that
3: close. Just finish it off. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. Right I mean, the
2: first episode was just so long. Uh, I don't know uh, if you guys have as short of attention span as I do but it felt like I watched a feature film Uh, I'll say nothing really happened
3: Greg and I talked to our older brother about watching the Queen's Gambit and he said he watched the first episode not realizing that it was a tv show and he just saw the end of the first episode was the end of the movie and he was
1: like well that was weird
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm on his side actually I was I'm with that
1: he was like that was weird I I guess that makes sense I don't know (laughs) 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 Uh, all right enough that's a a lot of queen's gambit Uh, that's way too much let's get on to these knicks 28 pick from the clippers marcus moore's traded for this pick so i mean the the it's going to be depending on who's available at this point in the draft it's also going to depend on who we pick number eight so it's a lot of factors And, and as you get later into the first round and then into the second round. It's really just a crapshoot. So well, we'll be saying a lot of random names, I'm sure. sure nobody has their their board set in stone for these picks because it's very dependent on what other teams want to do. But that being said, the Knicks have to have a board with a bunch of names on it ready to pick if they have to be picked. So, Kenny, let's start with you. Let's get some names of people you're thinking about, about the Knicks picking.
3: And I think the key here is, like you said, um, there's a lot of variability, and like my gut tells me, like no one has any idea what's going to happen. So the the people that I've looked at aren't are projected before uh, the 27 pick. They're projected probably late teens, early twenties, and the the two guys that I specifically looked at and we mentioned last time was uh, Sadiq Bay. I looked into, and then a um, Alex Pokuczewski. I can't even say his name. Poku is what people have been calling him. And I really looked at him because a lot of people have been very high on him. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you guys have a preference. He's been called
0: if, like the mystery man of the draft, is my yeah. understanding.
3: He's, he's an interesting prospect. So is that where you guys want to start? I can throw out my two cents, and I don't know if you guys have actually looked at him or, or looked at Sadiq Bey at all.
2: Yeah, I haven't really taken a look at those two guys just because I kind of felt like they were out of the Knicks' range. I I don't know. Some people have even talked about Poku at eight, um, but I think that's kind of a you know in the minority opinion. Um, but the other guys you mentioned between Sadiq Bay and then I know we talked about Aaron Nesmith a little bit last episode um, were more like either trade down candidates at number eight or like packaging some stuff to try and trade a decent ways up from 27. Um, But, you know, I am curious to hear what you have to say about Poku, just because I know he's been such a a hot topic in a lot of these pods. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious.
3: Um, Pretty much what BBD said. He's a a mystery guy because, like, you go – I watch, like Tom, I watch my videos on uh, YouTube, and, like, there's no games of him. There's just highlights, and usually in the highlights, like, they don't show you missing because then it's not really a highlight um but he looked good like I can see the intrigue in him because the you know what they showed of him he had like very solid passing uh, a ridiculously good handle for someone his side size a solid stroke um and so like you put that all together on a, a guy who's seven feet tall with a seven three wingspan and like that's a good offensive package to add the add to that um because of that size, he's an excellent shot blocker. I think he averaged four blocks a game. Um, the the again, the real question mark is all all I've had to see of him is highlights, so it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, you know, the even the kind of lowlights that they show for weaknesses, he's uh, very very skinny. I think he's like 200 pounds at seven
0: feet tall, which is yeah. he's he's listed at seven foot two oh one, which just feels like the weight you put when you don't want to lie about being below two hundred pounds.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna be honest with you, um he, his videos just look so ridiculously skinny. Um, and he gets pushed around a decent amount. Um so I don't know that he's a guy that like he can make an impact right away. I think on the offensive end he can make an impact. On the defensive end, like he's not a guy that you can put out in the perimeter to, to play perimeter defense. He's a guy that needs to be inside. And, you know, you worried about him just getting bullied. Like, offensively, like, he can – I will say, like, his shot does look good, but then you go – I went back and checked the stats and he shot, you know, I think 32% from three. So, like, pretty good but not, you know, excellent. Um, So, I think he's a guy – and he, he's a guy who hangs around the perimeter a lot. But, again, he has a very nice handle. So, like, I think he's a guy who – He's very young. I think he's a—he's six days away from not even qualifying to be in the NBA draft this year because he's so young. Um, so he's a
0: guy who. Who was that BBD? Yeah, he's just not—he's not even 19 yet. Yeah. Uh, as. Yeah, at this point. James. Really young, really skinny.
3: So I think I mean I see the intrigue. I would be a little worried about like if people are saying him at eight. I would be worried about that if he falls down to the 27 pick, I would have no problem taking him there. Um, Like even, I mean, if you trade, if he ends up in the early twenties, maybe that's a a place where, you know, I'd, I'd be comfortable with him, but even like the mid teens, I'd have questions just because he's, he is so slight of frame and it's going to be a couple of years before he can contribute. And if, I mean, if we're okay with that, that's fine. Uh, If not, like he's, he just needs to, to, you know, have an opportunity somewhere else where he he can you know be on the bench and and develop a little bit before he uh, becomes like a full-time
1: player and to that point maybe I I mean I don't know much about him but you think about if he would possibly be okay with being a draft and stash like a Dario Saric type who you know Sixers picked in the first round he stayed in Europe for a couple years and then he came over and he was Dario Saric he's a good player so maybe that's something I don't I don't know I don't, I don't know if that he's willing to do that. Yeah, he's a guy that
0: I've looked into him a little bit and everything he said is right. And like, Hey, if he reaches his potential, like there's a world where he's like Porzingis with a handle and passing, but uh, how likely is that? I, I don't know. I, I would be hesitant to reach on him with the eighth pick, certainly. And I'd be hesitant to like m- trade assets to move up to get him. Because the, the one thing I have heard is, like, the Thunder at 25, if he's there, they're taking him. Um, who knows if, how true that is, because I feel like you can say so many different rumors about this draft. But that is something I've heard. So it seems like for the Knicks, they would have to package 27 and 38 and move up to, I don't know, 22 or something if they wanted to get him. And then you're all of a sudden you're, you're getting rid of your other assets. Not that there's a huge difference. They'd have to really like him, and I don't know how much they like him. And I'd be yeah. hesitant to give up other assets or reach on them.
3: Yeah, and again, I think both of the guys I mentioned, I, I think, are projected to go before the next pick at 27. There is yeah. the possibility of trading up or down. Like we don't know what's going to happen, but again, there's just so much variability in this draft, and so much, you know, difference between one one board to the next. And like I don't think anyone has a real idea of what can happen. And so it wouldn't surprise me if. Someone who was expected to go in the in the lottery late lottery ends up available at twenty seven. Like, yeah, Picking who is that person's going to be, I don't know, but yeah. it wouldn't
0: surprise me. This year, like more than any other year, it just takes one team liking you and wanting to take them. So it's very much it's like even harder than usual to predict, and it's never easy. But. Yeah.
1: So that so that's one prospect. I mean, there's there's a slew of others. I'm just gonna rattle off a few names that I, I we've heard rumors about and that could be possible: um, Tyrell Terry, Desmond Bain, <clears throat> Tyler Bay. We'll start with those because those seem to be the most common names I I see thrown around on on Nick's Reddit and elsewhere on the internet. And Tom, I know you've you've probably looked at some tape of those guys. I've I've seen your analysis of Desmond Bain think you've looked at Tyler Tyrell Terry as well so we'll throw it to you Tom what are you what are you thinking over there about these guys
2: yeah so like you mentioned before it does kind of depend a little bit on um on who the Knicks take at eight and you might think like that you know the Knicks aren't really in a position to get choosy like they should take best player available regardless but I think it does make some sense where if you take a a point guard with the number eight pick Say a Killian Hayes or a Kira Lewis Jr. Or a, or a Tyrese Halliburton, someone like that, then you'd probably look to a wing down at 27. And then vice versa, if you do pick up a wing like Isaac Okoro or Devin Vassell with number eight, then you'd be looking more in the, at the point guard position um, down there in the later uh, first round. I mean, just real quick, like before I get to Tyrell Terry, like a lot of these draft boards have uh, the Knicks taking isaiah stewart the center out of washington no. um i mean he put up 17 and 9 as, as a freshman in the pac-12 i don't know about you guys but like in general i'm just kind of not looking at center tape i'm just not that interested in it it's not only because we have mitch that's part of it but it's also just like the position has been a little devalued and i don't know i i just think like wings and point guards are what the knicks need at this point so that's really the only tape that i've been studying so you know Isaiah Stewart, guys like that, I, I have not been all that interested in. On the Tyrell Terry front, his draft, his, like, status is all over the map. So the Athletic has him going 19. The Ringer has him going 17 in their mock. And ESPN has him going 28. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty wide range for a first-rounder. Um, you know, when I first started watching highlights of him, I was just enamored. I was like, this, this dude should be going top 10. 15. how is there any talk of him slipping later? Um and then I so just real quick on him, he he averaged 15 points a game, three assists, four and a half boards, despite only being listed 6'1, 160 pounds, and he just turned 20. Um, there's some talk of him having actually put on some muscle, so that would be pretty important for him. Um, he shot forty-one percent from three on five three-point attempts per game, so he's a really good shooter. Eighty-nine like percent from the free-throw line on decent volume. He can pull from pretty much anywhere. Like the, the clips will make you think of like a Dam- Damian Lillard type, but he's just so slight and he's so bad defensively. Like it's not just that he's small. He really does. In the video I was watching, he just didn't really seem to compete that much on the defensive end. Uh, I watched a, a game of him uh in a loss to arizona state and he and arizona state just kept targeting him and, and just going at him and he just got killed on defense like they ended up losing that game and um i don't know i, I kind of soured on him a little just from a competitiveness standpoint he wasn't really you know putting in the effort i think that was necessary so that that did worry me a little um you know if he's if he's actually available at 27 the upside is there where um I, I think you might still make that move, but there are some other point guard prospects that should be potentially available at 27. That I'm also very interested to talk about. So we can get there in a little bit. But I'm I'm wondering if anyone else has any thoughts on Tyrell Terry or maybe even his fit on the Knicks.
0: Yeah, he's a, one of the few guys I know like a little bit about, and I and everything you said is is that's like the book out on him is like the offense. You can see the complete product but by a couple years from now being there where he can really help you on that end of the floor. But between the size and the apparent effort, the defense seems to be very much a negative. Um, I don't know. I mean, he he is regarded as really smart. So if he can – maybe it's he'll bulk up a little bit and, and then he'll be able to contribute more on that end of the floor. Yeah. Um, but he's he's really fun to watch, and he does pop off the screen when you do give his like YouTube highlight real a look. I'm not very confident he'll be there at 27. He does feel like a guy that if he's there, yeah, gotta if you're the Knicks, you gotta go for it there, especially depending on what you do at eight. Um,
2: yeah, we, we talked a lot about like the high floor versus high ceiling guys, and I think at number eight in the last podcast we kind of started to lean more towards the high floor like we really don't want to swing and miss again at eight like like we kind of right that high um but with 27 like that's not usually a spot where you have the opportunity to to take a big swing and so if if someone like terry is there i'm with you bbd i think that that would be a a smart move despite the defensive limitations
1: yeah i'm i'm with you both
2: just a couple other stats? point guards. Yeah, I mean, a couple other point guards who are just older um, and so therefore like, have fallen in terms of their draft stock are Malachi Flynn out of San Diego State and uh, Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. Malachi Flynn is a junior. He's 22 years old, and um, he led his team to a 30-2 and record this year. They were first in the Mountain West. Um, he averaged 18 points, four and a half boards, five assists. He shot 37% from three on over six attempts per game and 86% from the free throw line on a bunch of free throws. Um, I mean, this dude really impressed me. Like he's, I don't know if I mentioned he's, he's listed at 6'1 one185 So again, like he's small and he's skinny, but he could score from just anywhere on the floor. Like he was pulling up from deep. He was, was catching, shooting the ball from behind the arc. But he was also getting into the mid-range, hitting pull-ups. Uh, he had a really nice touch on his floater. He was getting to the rim. He kind of was scoring at every level. And, you know, my first instinct was this guy must be like an Alonzo Trio type, like just not a, necessarily a winning player. Like he can get you some buckets, but there must be a problem with him either. He can't pass or on the defensive end of the ball he must be a total zero and then I did. I watched some tape, and he was actually good defensively. So I looked into it again, and he actually won defensive player of the year for the Mountain West Conference this past year. He was the best defensive player in the whole conference at 6'1", 185. And he was just a beast. Like, he was up on the ball, like, pressuring the ball all the time. He never took a playoff. He was super competitive. And it was kind of the opposite of that Tyrell Terry thing, where he was just – I mean, he was – an amazing help defender aware at all times. And uh, like, I could see him getting targeted because of his size, but it is not going to be because of like a lack of effort or competitiveness because he was playing hard the whole time. Um, I was watching his, his um, interview with Mike Schmitz and Mike Schmitz pulled out the stat that he was the second best pick and roll ball handler scoring out of the pick and roll in the entire country. So there's just a lot to like of this Malachi Flynn. I'm curious have any of you guys seen any tape or, or heard anything about this guy? I've I've heard a little about him.
1: He's got that uh that Kyle Lowry bulldog mentality type of player. So I I've, I've seen people suggest that maybe the the Raptors would pick him if they fell to where where they're picking just because he fits that uh Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet mold. So I mean, we could use that type of player on our team. I mean, if you're scoring 18 points per game and you're the best defensive player in your conference, then, I mean, that's, that's I'm sold. And th- the latter half of the second round is when you, you really start to see those uh, upperclassmen go off the board, like you said, because they're, you know, now you really, you kind of know what you're going to get, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if we're going to get a, a, a solid defensive player who can, you know, score points now and then and run a team. Then that's that's a great pickup at number twenty-seven,
2: and then yeah, uh, and I don't think I don't think it's like impossible that he falls there. I know ESPN has Malachi going twenty-first, and the Ringer has him going twenty-eighth, uh, and then the Athletic has him going twenty-seventh to New York. So he's right in that range according to some of these um, some of these mock drafts. And if he's there, you know, if it's in between him and Tyrell Terry. It's a tough call because, like Flynn, will you know right away be able to help you? He's that smart and he's that polished. And Tyrell Terry is is more of that upside play. So I, I would kind of be torn if both of them. I would be shocked if they're both available. But if that's the case, then the Knicks will have a serious decision on their hands.
0: And they better take one of them if they're both there. Um, yeah, everything I've heard about Malachi Flynn, I've really liked. I haven't looked into him personally very much, but everything I've heard has been really. It, and it seems like he's more likely to be there at 27 than maybe other teams we're going to discuss, um, or at least names we've discussed so far. So he he's a guy, I mean, you get him at 27, you like your chances of that pick working out, considering where that is, end of the first round, how often does that work out, as well as he, he, he's a guy who you can immediately tell might work out. So um, yeah, he'd be, yeah. He'd, then- be, he'd be exciting, as exciting as the 27th pick gets. Him, Tyrell Terry. Yeah.
1: I mean, we picked David Lee at 30. Everybody needs to remember that. He was our best player for a very long time. That's true. You know, only on the Knicks for five years, but he was the best player we had until Amar Stoudemire (laughs) came. That's what what I'm saying to you. Um, And then to Peyton Pritchard, I I took a look at his his numbers at least. I haven't seen the the tape, but um, he's the best player on uh, Oregon. He's a senior um, Oregon won the pack twelve, which is good. You know, when you're the best player on the best team in a conference, that's I mean, d- there's no need to over over look over overemphasize analytics at that point. You could just say this guy's the best team the best player on the best team that's that's worth something. And the M V P award in the NBA has, you know, a lot of time gone to the best player on the best team. So they they don't focus on analytics. So Payne Pritchard. That's the type of guy you want on a team. He averaged 20 points, five and a half assists, four rebounds, and he shot 41% from three on about seven attempts per game, which is that's great. That's just, that's just what you want in a, in a this type of player. He's a six-two point guard shooting guard hybrid. I, I'd say, um, but just the numbers pop out at you. I haven't, I haven't seen the tape though, so
2: yeah, no. But Greg, I mean, it's a great call. Just because you're right to look at. His team's record. Like, this dude is just a straight up winner. And he plays like it. Like, he was, he just played with a lot of swagger, just a lot, so much confidence. Um, and like you said, he was, he was taking seven threes per game. Those were off the bounce, they were off the catch. Some of them were, were way deep. Like, I mean, I, I talked about with Malachi Flynn, Peyton Pritchard was the same way. He was jacking threes from, from be, beyond NBA range. And, uh I mean, he was just super impressive. But he's, he's a little different than Malachi in that he's just stronger. Like we brought up Fred Van Vliet before he's just built more like that. So he's like, you, you said he's six He's also 190 pounds, but just watching him, he played strong. He just looked, his shoulders were broad. Um, and he did remind me of Fred Van Vliet in a lot of ways. Um, as to whether he'll be there at, at 27, I think, I mean, ESPN has him going 42 in the second round. The ringer has him going 29th shortly after the Knicks pick. Um, you know he's a, he's another guy. He's 22 years old. He'll be 23 in January, um, so he's on the older side. But he's another guy who is super competitive, who would contribute, be able to contribute competently right away. And I mean, the guy's a winner. He's a really good attitude. I, I liked watching uh, his conversation with Mike Schmitz. He's he's like super aware uh, of his strengths and limitations, um, and and as far as his weaknesses, I, I thought that. Greg mentioned that he's a more of a combo guard than a, than a pure point guard. I thought Malachi Flynn was the same way. Um, they they can, but that's also a, a strength where you can play on the ball or off the ball. But I think Peyton Pritchard in particular wasn't as good at creating offense for others. Um, I think beating his man off the dribble is going to be a struggle at the next level. But in general, watching his tape, I was I was super impressed by this guy.
1: Yeah, in that twenty eight to forty two range. From ESPN and and the Ringer really just shows you what crapshoot this these prospects are, and what you never know what people are thinking. Kenny, you've been quiet over there. You want to talk about anybody? I mean,
3: in terms of the guys that Tom just talked about, like
2: no, you could talk about I, whoever you want.
3: Well, I'll, well, Kenny,
2: you and I talked a little bit about Nico Mannion. You I don't know if you want to like bring up just kind of the whole philosophy behind drafting like guys who have that super high upside but who maybe didn't tra- their game didn't translate to the college game we talked about that on our hike today yeah so and
3: i'll, I'll just highlight that conversation so um nico mannian's a guy who was very highly touted coming out of uh high school i don't know if you remember what that number was tom like top five or something yeah he was
2: he was sixth in his Six. draft class
3: so i was just just a little bit off um but he underwhelmed in college uh he you know i, I don't think he was particularly efficient and uh, he, I know Tom, Tom mentioned this to me, but so I'll give him credit, but he's, he's still saying, and he thinks that he's a guy who should be, you know, one of the top draft picks this year. And what we've talked about was, you know, how for a lot of these guys, you know, the way that you're used matters, unless you're, you know, a LeBron James type, the way that you're used and the the coach that you end up playing for matters. And so, you know, we'd we like to think that the teams in the NBA look at more than just your your college career. And I know people have said the same thing about Cole Anthony, who um, was was all over the AAU circuit and was one of the top players coming out of high school. And then he went, uh, went to UNC and did not have a great year. And so he's kind of fallen off a lot. Um, so it's a question of, you know, we're limited on what we see. You know, we don't have the resources. I don't have the the time to be diving into high school tape, but like that's that's something that you know you'd you'd hope that people are into because um, you know there is potential there, and that's where you find a guy like Mitchell Robinson, who you know he he was a very highly touted player coming out of high school, and then you know he had his issues when he left school, and basically you know no one knew what they were going to get out of him. So that's that's a question. I haven't watched enough Nico Mannion to know if he's he's a guy for us, but that's just you know, the, the way that we're looking at the, the recruiting.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you want to talk about bustability, like he has just a high chance, a high probability, I think a higher, certainly chance of, of bustability than Peyton Pritchard or Malachi Flynn, um, or even potentially Tyrell Terry. But, you know, Looking at his numbers here, in his 32 games at Arizona, he averaged 14 points, five assists, two and a half boards. Um, He only shot 39% from the field, which is awfully concerning, and then only 32.7% from three on five attempts per game, and then 80% from the free throw on four free throws per game. I mean, he's a a fairly polished scorer as far as, like, getting his shot off. He's very athletic, um, but, like, at the end of the day, he, he wasn't making. Sh- he took a lot of shots and he wasn't making them. And I just think like the Knicks have so many guys like that. that I I'd be wary of taking on taking on another project, um, at this time.
3: Yeah, and I think that's that was the our general consensus is I would like, I would like us for us to make picks who are you know high floor guys because at some point, you know, and we went back to to the the Kevin Knox pick where Kevin Knox was seen as a guy who could have a very high upside. And at that time I was very really pushing for um the Mikhail Bridges pick and like how nice would it be to have Mikhail Bridges next to an RJ Barrett, a guy who can, you know, knock down shots and and uh play you know excellent defense. And so I mean the other guy that we talked about or I mentioned that I didn't really talk about much was uh Sadiq Bey. And again he's a guy he's another Villanova guy like Mikhail Bridges. um, and so I'm obviously a fan and possibly a little bit biased, but uh, he's a guy who's probably gonna is expected to go in the mid to late teens. so maybe he's not there. But again, maybe he drops, maybe we trade up, maybe we trade down. Um, but he's a guy that i I just really like. and and uh, I mentioned Aaron Niesmith last uh, episode, and I watched their their uh, film back to back. And I was expecting to, you know, like Niesmith a lot more just based on his shooting ability and what I saw. Um, from his his statistics, but watching the games, man, like I am a big fan of Sadiq Bay because he is just a solid player. Uh, and you know, you hear Jake and John Boy sometimes talking about you know that guy's just a ball player when they talk about DJ Lemayhew. Like Sadiq Bay is just a guy who who knows how to play basketball. He's a guy who doesn't make mistakes. Um, he's he doesn't do anything like he's not great at anything, but he's good at everything. He's a good, sh- he's a very good shooter. He's a good passer. Um, he has excellent footwork, footwork on drive. He's not going to blow by you, but he, he has good size and strength to, to, um, you know, use on smaller guys. He's like, I never watched him um, when he was at Villanova thinking like, Oh, he's an excellent defender, but going back and watch the, watching the tape, like he doesn't get beat. He stays in front of his guy. Like he's not, he's not, you know, getting a lot of steals or anything or, or getting a ton of blocks, but he stays in front of his guy and he makes, makes their life more challenging. And, you know, the more, the more video I watched and I, I ended up this uh, afternoon watching an entire um, DePaul versus Villanova game just to watch. Cause I was also watching Paul Reed. And again, like the the same thing that happened with Neesmith. I went in expecting cause uh, I think John Hollinger is very high on Reed and I wanted to see what, what he was seeing. And I went into that game expecting to, you know, just pay attention to Reed. But Again, watching Sadiq Bay, he just does a lot of things very well. So if, if the Knicks are in position, a position where like he's available that late, like I think that is a no brainer for me.
2: And maybe even a, a possibility, to, like trade up for a guy like that if he falls low enough. Um, yeah, maybe you'd package something with uh, with the twenty seventh to try and move up. But like the third, um, like I mean, th- who knows?
1: Like the thirty eight.
2: like the thirty eighth, like Kevin Knox, sure. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> where, would Ke- where, would Ke- where where would Kevin Knox go in this draft is it is it 38 I don't know yeah I mean he's, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding I, I'm being harsh on him. I,
3: I don't think Bay is going to be a superstar but like he could he could be the next Villanova guy who's like the like the Josh Hart type the Mikhail Bridges type who's a guy who you know does the right thing plays the right way like doesn't make a ton of mistakes and like he's a very good guy to have on your team.
1: Yeah and then then another point guard I wanted to bring up quick was Trey Jones. And we talked about how some prospects in this draft have benefited from the play of other people in the NBA, like the Kentucky guys benefiting from the play of other Kentucky guys. But in Trey Jones, I think his comp is probably Tyus Jones, his brother. They look exactly the same. They pretty much play exactly the same. And I mean, he was the best, maybe, I, in my opinion, I thought he was the best player on Duke. I don't know; other people may have a different opinion with Vernon Carey and what well, and the like. But this guy just hoops. He's just he's just the baller. Just can control a basketball game. Average 16 points, six boards, or six assists and four boards. You know, only shot 36% from three. But again, he was the the lead ball handler. Just controlled the game for a Duke team that was good, if not as typically good as Duke usually is.
0: Yeah, I I really like uh, what Trey Jones brings to the table just as a guy who, like, plays defense and will try to make the smart play on offense. He doesn't do anything particularly special as I understand it with him, but um, I didn't watch his sophomore year very much. But um, he's a guy I like, especially as a late pick. Um, He seems to have as high a floor as anyone kind of, can there um more importantly NBA draft.net does have his nba comparison as Jarrett jack who has kind of been the best point guard the knicks had this decade so
3: former nick great he might be a, just got dark i
1: think zach yeah. zach harper thinks he's still on the knicks Yeah. <laughs> Sh- Sh- and when, when i say athletic. that Duke wasn't as good as they usually are. They were 25-6 and six and came in second in the ACC, so it's not like they were bad. And let's not, not just forget had... when... Yeah, exactly. Let's not for. Yeah,
3: that's what I was about to say. Let's not forget the R.J. Barrett connection. They went to school together, so... In yeah, a season...
1: They're the same age. Or they're the same class at least. Probably, they probably don't have the same birthday. They're probably different ages. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
3: some someone can check that out. But you know, there there is something like and I said it kind of jokingly, but there is something to be said about that, particularly with the fact that there has been so little basketball played and like having chemistry with a team, like it it doesn't hurt to have uh, have a guy that you've played with before and you're familiar with going into a shortened season and uh on a you know kind of express basis of of not having played together for a long time and not having that chemistry with everyone.
2: Yeah. I mean that, the guys. It's not nothing. I mean, that was a lot of point guards that we just went through though. And I want to get to the wings uh in a little bit but uh, i mean between the guys we just listed do do you guys have like a favorite who if they're available like you gotta take them is it is it just tyrell terry you don't want to overthink it or is he are the size issues real like maybe the competitiveness competitiveness issues um i'm kind of torn between tyrell terry and malachi flynn as kind of my top choice of of these prospects if available
1: yeah i mean it like like you're saying, it depends on who's available, and we. I don't. I'd say I don't really think Tyrell Terry and Flynn will be available. So then I temper my expectations. I I would. I like Trey Jones. I like what he does, and I think he'd be a good backup point guard for for years to come. And I
3: just have like I am so uncomfortable even throwing out names for the 27th pick because, like I said at the beginning, there's just so much variability and like. Not, I wouldn't be surprised if someone fell a lot. And, like, if that's the case and there's not a clear reason for it, like the the Michael Porter Jr. health records, like I think you, you just take the best player available at that point.
0: Yeah, I, I like yeah. Tyrell Terry and, um, and Malachi Flynn a lot. I'm, I'm kind of like, if one of them's there at 27, please take one of them. But I really like Trey Jones, so I think we'll be there. I mean, you, we don't know this draft can get can go off course from what we think it is very easily um but if he's the, there i like that pick um the yeah, Tyrell terry malachi Flynn are the two guys we get like excited about if they're there in the next take them because they have like such high ceilings considering they're there at 27 uh another name that we like glossed over briefly that would that i i wouldn't mind at 27 is cole anthony whose stock has fallen so much that like if you told us, if you told anybody a year ago, he's like an option at 27, he might be there, and he—I mean, he could still end up at the back of the lottery. I guess nobody really knows what's going to end up happening with him, but he's a guy who's been like the best player among this group for 15 years, and this one year was bad, and UNC was bad, and, and you know he's part of why they were bad. He was the best player on the team, but uh, there's still reason to believe in him. So if you can get him at 27. That gets you excited too.
2: Yeah, and he was. Yeah, I. He was injured for a good amount of the,
0: the season. Yeah.
2: yeah. in the mocks I'm seeing he he goes 24th in the Ringers, he goes, um, in the Athletics he goes 21st, and then in ESPN's he goes 19th. So, my, I mean, anything can happen on draft night, right? So you, you never know. Uh, I'd be I'd be awfully surprised if he made it all the way down to 27 but yeah. uh, there's another one year when you high ceiling guys in that nico manion mold just with an even higher ceiling um than nico's and, and then the only guy who or can you, you want to say something i was gonna throw
3: out another name but um you can you can go ahead
2: well as i say the like the only guy in kind of the wing crop who would be who could even potentially be in that 27 range who i would say like if he's there you have to take him because we can't say that about everybody because like one of, you know, at they, least one of them will. be there. They could potentially be there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you hope so. But the only wing who I kind of put in that category with those other guys like Tyrell Terry and Malachi Flynn would be Desmond Bain, who we mentioned a little earlier. He's a a six six two hundred and fifteen pound wing. He's a senior from TCU, twenty two years old. Um, you know, the the one hangup you might have is TCU was only sixteen and sixteen this year. They were seventh in the Big Twelve. That's not. That's not great coming from like when your best player is a you know first round draft pick and, and someone who very well likely could go before twenty seven. Just looking in the mocks here, the athletic has Bain going twenty fourth, ESPN has him going twenty fourth, and the ringer has him going thirtieth. So I mean there's there's definitely a chance. But this guy was just I mean, lights out. When I say lights out shooter, I his tape was incredible. Like so he averaged seventeen points per game six rebounds four assists at the wing spot which is pretty impressive um he shot 44 percent from three on six and a half three-point attempts per game he did he just barely got to the free throw line so those numbers there don't really matter but um i mean he shot in every possible situation off the dribble coming off screens just step backs um from deep from corner Uh, this guy could shoot from literally anywhere um and he, and he was smart enough to use that to his advantage, right? So because teams had to just chase him at all times, he would he would realize that, that they'd be overplaying him, and, and he was such an elite cutter. Um, you know, I haven't seen a college prospect like cut like this before. He was just so smart at it, so savvy, and then when he would get the ball in these cuts, he would often finish uh, in the paint, or he'd just make really quick reads and, like, kick it out to someone or make it a smart pass, um i was just i mean offensively he was super impressive he was a a little lacking in terms of his athleticism i I think his ability to create separation might be an issue at the next level and then defensively you know he gets away with a lot in the college game because he's so big but he was like standing up straight he was too upright too often I could see him getting exploited defensively at times because, again, he's just not like this freak athlete. But he's so skilled on the offensive end that, and such an elite shooter that he's another guy where if he somehow drops all the way to 27, I mean, I, I might even take him before some of these point guard prospects.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can never have too enough, en- enough shooting, and the Knicks don't have any. So he would be a welcome addition, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, and you, you know my opinion on shooting is I, it's, like, one of my top, top two considerations, shooting and defense. So I'm, I'm all for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the other wings I looked at, I don't know if you guys have, have heard of some of these guys. It's, like, Robert Woodard out of Mississippi State, um, Tyler Bay out of Colorado, um, I looked, I mean, there's, there's another dude from, uh, Barcelona. He played two seasons on FC Barcelona. His name is Leandro Balmero. Um, but like none of them got me like really excited. Like I'll just go over them real quickly. Uh, Robert Woodard, he's six seven, two hundred and thirty 230 pounds. He's just built like a truck. He's a seven, one wingspan. He, uh, he averaged 11 points per game, six and a half boards, uh a steal and a block he was just a very good defender but i I think that's kind of his only strength like he he's not a playmaker he's not a rebounder he can't create shots he shot 43 percent from three so you'd be kind of on on a fairly limited amount of attempts just 2.3 attempts from three per game um but you would be kind of investing in him thinking he's going to be an ideal three and d guy down the road he's just a big wing um Another guy, Tyler Bay out of Colorado. He's a, a junior from Colorado. He's 22 years old, 6'7", 218 pounds. He's also got a 7'1 wingspan. And he's just a, a freak athlete. Um, he, he did an interview with ESPN. He said his vertical was 45 inches, which is the same as Zion Williamson's. Um, Mike Schmidt said he was the best rebounder in the draft regardless of position. At 6'7", he's the best rebounder in the draft. Um, and he averaged nine boards per game. In 29 minutes per game, which is which is very, very good for a college prospect. Um, he shot 42% from three, but only had one three-point attempt per game. Um, but like over the from his freshman year to sophomore year to junior year, there was a really strong progression there in terms of his shooting. And uh, yeah, the comparison, the player comp that a lot of people say there is Sean Marion, which is which is pretty intriguing because the defensive versatility. Um, and then Leandro Balmero like barely played. Uh, you know, he's, he's 20 years old. He, he played 11 minutes per game for FC Barcelona in this professional league. He averaged three points, two assists. Like it's hard to really gather enough tape to make any sort of smart, you know, decision on a guy like that. But he's also someone who's been mocked in this 27 range.
1: I mean, when you see numbers like that, you just got to take them three (laughs) points, two assists in, in Spain. You, got, I mean, what's the conversion rate with European numbers? Really, that's that's <laughs> what you got to wonder. But I mean, I've I've read about Tyler Bay. I've, I've heard he's a little more of a, a power forward type player. Um, I I haven't watched the tape, but like you said, no, it's true. He, one, he played
2: uh, the one three per game, and he played the four and the five in college. But th- I think that the hope is that he would be more of like a a wing in at the professional level, just because of his athleticism
1: yeah so i mean we'll see we'll see what he's able to do if he's able to to become more of a three type player I mean he could still play play the four I mean Zion seems to have have been playing the four and he's doing quite well for himself, so maybe Tyler Bay could can can do it obviously not in the same manner that Zion does it, but you know he could do something.
2: Yeah, and uh, just real quick on on Robert Woodard again out of Mississippi State. Like, I only watched one game, one full game of his, and um, it was pretty disappointing. Like, he just didn't do much of anything. He ended up finishing the game 3-7 from the field, 0-2 from three. Had six points, seven boards, one assist. And, like, just at no point was I sitting there watching him being like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's an NBA player. Like, he had one of his teammates who played the same position as him – had twenty six points and thirteen boards, and I was like, "That's the guy you got to get." Is that like, you know? Is that but, Perry? Yeah, it was Perry. Yeah,
1: Perry's just a monster of a person. And that's that's the type of person that we could be looking at with the thirty eight pick. Possibly, he's he seems to be a just a just a beast. He was a, a five star prospect coming out, and then as a sophomore, he's averaging eighteen points per game at Mississippi State. I mean, at our at our pod long ago, he was the type of person I suggested picking. The next picking with that 38 pick. He's just a monster of a man. I mean, maybe not be able to, to step out and shoot, but just a freak athletically, just bullying people. And Yeah,
2: you know, man. In, in the game I watched him, he shot 14 of 15 from the free throw line. So that says something about his touch.
1: Yeah, just – Let's look at him at 38, and we'll get to 38 eventually, but that'll mostly just be us throwing out random names, I'm sure, just like it'll be them in, in the draft room throwing out random names. But I know you briefly mentioned Isaiah Stewart, and and then I think it's very possible that they picked him, so I don't, I don't want to just just fly over him. This guy was a – I believe was a top-five prospect coming out of college at Washington. He's only a freshman, so – Still a young young man, six nine two fifty. So that's that's just a big that's a big boy. Maybe not height wise in the NBA, but two fifty. That's that's it's a bulldozer, and he's got a soft touch. He's shooting over eighty percent at the free throw line. So they, they, he's the type of stretch four you you would think possibly. Uh, we'll see if he can. I mean, what's even the difference between a four and a five really, other than on the, the defensive end and. Stepping out, especially in today's positionless basketball NBA, so and that's that's the possibility for the Knicks at that pick. So I just wanted to throw that back in there.
2: Well, BBD and Kenny, like, what do you think about taking a center? Like, it, you're you're ostensibly picking him as a backup center for Mitch. Like, are you guys cool with like taking a a backup center with this
0: with this pick? You you won't hear me complain about it because if they think he's the best player there, then I'll. I'll take their word for it. They're the guys who have looked, had to look into it. But, um, philosophically, I don't, I mean, I don't love it just because center is in theory like the easiest position to fill and Mitch is here and, and already seems to be the starter moving forward. So there's higher potential guys that I think will be in the mix, but, I and mean, everything we si- we just said about him is interesting, and, and if they pick him, I'm not going to sit here and complain. But but in in theory, there's probably going to be another guy I would have liked more available. Um,
1: yeah, I I'm, mean, also when I said he made over eighty percent of his free throws, he made seventy seven percent. So I'm sorry,
0: that's
3: over eighty <laughs> percent, basically. Um, I'm I'm going to be honest with you with the with the later picks. I'm. I would be fine with taking a center. I don't want to take a center at eight. Uh, Mitch still has foul trouble. So, like, we're going to need someone to play a decent amount of minutes at the, the center position. Um, so, you know, if he's your guy, go and get him. That's that's my, my basic view of the situation.
0: If they like him that late in yeah. the draft, I'm cool with it.
2: Yeah, and if Randall's still on the team, like I do think he should get a lot more minutes at five, even though he kind of lacks the rim protection. I think you have to try and make up for it with some perimeter defense in those lineups. But I, I did think that Randall should have played a lot more five last year, um, so I'd be I'd be curious to see some of those minutes as well. But um, yeah, if we want to start throwing out some names for for thirty eight, um, I have one just because I watched this game that I mentioned before with with Woodard. It was Mississippi State versus Arizona. And um, the guy from Arizona, who's kind of in that 38 range, his name's Isaiah Joe. And a lot of people are saying, I mean, I've read on Twitter, that he's the, actually the best three-point shooter in this draft. Like, better than Bain, better than some others. Um, you know, his stats wouldn't really back that up. So just <laughs> to <hit> some uh, <laughs> some numbers on him. He's 6'5", 180 pounds, He has a six, seven and a half wingspan. Like he's, he's pretty much solidly a shooting guard. Um, he averaged 17 points per game, four boards, almost two assists, um, over a steal per game. He shot only 34% from three this year on 11, three point attempts per game. This dude was just jacking threes every chance he got. And it was kind of crazy to watch. Like he just had the green light at all times. Um, this is a guy who in his freshman year he took about like eight threes per game and shot over 40 percent so i think somewhere between his freshman and sophomore year he just got way too much of a green light and was just taking probably terrible threes off the dribble just crazy wayne ellington type threes um to get to that 11 per game number uh you know the game I watched him play against Woodard and Mississippi State. He was just awful. Like he <laughs> shot, two, he shot. Yeah. And I, I just picked this game because I knew I could like watch two prospects at once. I don't look at the stats or anything first. He finished the game two of thirteen from the field, one of eight from three, with five points, three turnovers, seven boards, three assists. Like Let's it was just. Let's take him. It was. I mean, it's it's a one game one game fam one game situation, fam. but. But, my God, he looked terrible. Like, I couldn't even imagine. It it really was like early season Wayne Ellington just running around. And, like, defenses did chase him around everywhere. So, like, you know, he causes these, like, a lot of attention, a lot of focus is on him. It did open up a lot of stuff. A lot of layups opened up because he'd be running around screens. Two guys would jump out at him, and then the big would roll, and he would get a layup. So, you know, he was still doing these things that helped the team win despite – Shooting two of thirteen, they didn't win. By the way, they lost this game because he shot yeah. two of thirteen from the field. Yeah. You can't have your leading scorer do that. And I'll, um, I'll, I'll just a little correction.
1: He's he went to Arkansas, not Arizona, and then to, to add on. Oh, to, did I, did
2: I, not, did I say Arizona. My bad.
1: Yeah, it was you did. <laughs> and so he well, shot. We'll listen back to the tape. He he shot thirty six point seven percent from the field, but that's because he shot thirteen point eight shots per game. And 10.6 of them were from three, where he shot 34.2%, which is crazy. And I, I don't know if you guys have ever played a person. Have you ever played basketball against a person who did that, like, in, in high school? Who
2: just jacked um, up threes from everywhere? Cause, like, their only cause shots that they it, take are threes.
1: Not 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 even that. We'll just, just shoot threes from anywhere, like Lillard these days. I don't know if it you guys like, ever yeah. actually experienced that because that happened to me one Think, time. We were playing old lime or East Lime, and there was a kid. who was just like pulling up from like ten feet behind the three point line, and we were all just so confused at what was happening, just because it was like <laughs> high school basketball. And you're just like, "What do you? What's going on?" And he was just running I've, around jacking him up.
3: I've had this conversation with Tom before that guys like Dame Lillard and and Steph Curry ruined pickup basketball because now. People just do that, and you're just like, "What are you doing? Like, you're not, you're definitely not Steph Curry or Dame Lillard. Like, there are a lot of much better shooters in the NBA
1: who aren't doing what you're doing. Stop."
3: <laughs> I mean, um, this
1: was this was 11 years ago, so maybe this guy from East Lyme is the one who ruined the NBA. Probably.
3: And in terms of us playing people, Tom, I the only guy I can think of is I think it was our sophomore or junior year. There was a guy in Brookfield who was just. Catch and shoot three every single time. He was running, uh, they had a big guy guard combination and like there was just screen for the screen for the guard and the guard was jacking. Big man was, uh, crashing the boards. You remember this at all or am yeah, I for, just making stuff for, up? No,
2: but if we're talking high school basketball, shout out to Matt Lisi from Joel Barlow. He, to, he was jacking threes from all over the place. He was like playing JJ Reddick style. That was kind of like the guy who was doing that back when we were in high school. Um, he was just sprinting around screens and, and taking crazy threes. Um, but he was actually making them back then and at least he did too
1: And bbd charlie morton went to Ch- joel barlow who mm-hmm. we played we pl- they were in our league in high school we played against them so now oh, you're fights. involved in the conversation too <laughs> i mean back to the random names i guess
2: i guess th- throw some out
1: i uh i mentioned before i'm gonna i'm gonna,
3: add my biggies twist on this whole conversation, but I mentioned before I saw or I watched um, more Paul Reed than I probably should have uh, because John Hollinger has him just ranked ridiculously high. Uh, He has him as number 12 on his big board and everyone else has him in like late thirties. So I wanted to see, I wanted to take a look and see what, what John Hollinger saw and what, I saw was a guy who has a has a role in the NBA and um, I wanted to bring this up earlier when when Tom mentioned Tyler Bay as the best rebounder in the class because I think Paul Reed is an excellent rebounder he's um and he's also a very strong strong I'm trying to let me pull up his his uh measurables but he's a big strong man um he's like I think he's 6'9 6'10 but just like strong and it seemed like every single time a shot went up like he you know he either crashed the boards hard or he was just had perfect position and he came down with such a ridiculous amount of boards I think the two games I watched he had like 15 and maybe like 12 and he averaged 11 on the season so he has a role in the NBA if you need a guy who can who can uh, grab boards Um, he's also it was hard to evaluate his defender I think John Hollinger when I heard him talk was talking a lot about him as being this ridiculously versatile defender who can guard one through five and do all of that I didn't see that as much Um, he played a weird position for DePaul where he was basically just playing safety like he would just camp out in the paint and like only loosely watch his guy and I didn't the reason I watched two games is because I wanted to see him at some point guard someone on the perimeter Uh, and I didn't really see that there was a couple of times where he got a switch off and like no one really attacked him, and maybe that says something about you know his reputation as a defender. But it didn't show me anything in terms of his ability to guard um, guard perimeter players. There was one play in the the um, Villanova game where someone did attack him, and I think it was partially because he was like looking at the screen, but he just got blown by. So I don't know if he has that perimeter skill set, but he's a very strong interior defender. Um, as far as Big East ranks, he was tops in he was. Tops in defensive rebounds, second in overall rebounds, tops in defensive win, sha- defensive win shares, tops in uh, third in defensive plus minus, uh, first in defensive rating. So, like, he's a guy who's – and we can question how good defensive analytics are, but he's a very good interior defender, and um, he also shot decently from three for a big guy. Uh, he shot this past season – Or I guess for his career he shot 330. This past season he only shot 308, uh 30.8% on limited attempts, so 1.8% this season. Last season he shot 40.5% on one attempt. So I mean, he's if he's a big guy who can has the potential to stretch the floor, his shot doesn't look that pretty, but you know, he was hitting mid range shots and he shot this season um pretty efficiently from the floor. He shot 55% from the field, and most of that is like put back dunks, but also like uh, a decent amount of mid range. So he's a guy that I don't think you're looking for him for offense. Like maybe he can, he can become a stretch man, but for the most part, he's going to be a guy who gets his points like by getting to, by getting on the offensive board or by like crashing the, the, or crashing the glass on a, after a screen. And he sets hard screens. So like he's a guy who has a role. I don't see him as a top pick, uh, the way that John Hollinger does. But if he's, if that's what you're looking for is, if, uh, a guy who can play, you know, a small ball five in a in a, a second lineup, and then maybe develop into a solid, you know, starting po- point f- uh, power forward. Then he's he's a good pick. But if that's not what you're looking for, like I don't think he's he's got the the upside of that Hollinger suggests.
1: Yeah, the, one strategy that I like for for yeah. a second round pick is. Taking a flyer on on those high recruits who seem to have fallen. I don't have the I don't have any examples of other teams who have done it, but I'm, I'm sure there there are out there. Like Harry Giles getting picked by the Kings, he's okay. But that's that's what I'm. That type of pick is what I would suggest in the second round, like Cassius Winston, Cassius, Cassius Stanley, Vernon Carey, these guys from Duke and uh, Michigan State. Trey Jones could be that type of guy. We'll see where he goes. He's got a pretty wide range as well. That's just strategy, though.
2: I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've yeah, these, got these, like, one. Got... <laughs> Say it, BBD. <laughs>
0: um, not one of – changing a little bit, but I do have another name that of a guy I, I think I kind of want to discuss. Um, I'm trying to remember how to type it in. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But no, uh, there is another name that I do kind of like as a late option. Um, I don't think we've talked about him on on any of our programs. Uh, but Killian Tilly out of uh, Gonzaga, he's a guy. You know, he, his stock isn't very high because he's one of the older players in the draft in general. He did all four years at Gonzaga, and he had, I believe, he had injury issues over there. Um, so people are concerned on both of those fronts those are not a great combination for wanting to get drafted high but the little bit i know about him you know he just kind of does everything right for his size he's a he's a pretty good shooter and can stretch can space the floor a little bit for you um just does just does the right stuff just a name it, that stuck out as a guy it's okay like, eh, if he's there at 38 sure I and mean, i guess if you pick isaiah stewart or something at 27 then maybe not maybe then you think like take a flyer on guys positionally i don't know second round pick he's a guy i think he he has a good chance to be able to contribute maybe the injury problems continue
1: but yeah i mean we just saw brandon clark come out of gonzaga and, and just absolutely ball out obviously completely different type of player brandon clark's a freak athlete but that being said you know the gonzaga bigs have a place in the nba we've seen maybe not not Adam Morrison. He wasn't really big, though. But Zach Collins seems to be finding a niche on uh, the, the Blazers. The person, whoever I just mentioned that I forgot about, is doing a job wherever they are. And maybe Killian Tilly could do it. Brandon, Brandon Clark on the Grizzlies. That's what I was talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, you say he's a decent shooter. I'm looking at his numbers now. He's shot over 40% from three every year in his four years at Gonzaga. Um, took nearly four threes per game his senior year and shot forty percent. So um, he's got multiple yeah, a few plus of those seasons signs were,
0: next to his name on the three point rating on Tankathon. So yeah, he's pretty good.
1: Also, yeah, what else do you need? Also, what a name! That's a fun name. That's the type of name we need on our yeah. team. Killian yeah, Killian It's a
2: much better, much better name than the guy Kenny was talking about. Paul, what was it? Paul Paul Reed. Paul Reed. Ugh. Jimmy Killy and Tilly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just two one-syllable names jammed together. Another prospect who is just a random name, Paul Abua or something like that. I don't know if you guys have seen this guy. He's a Cameroonian Italian, very very raw prospect. But someone's just gonna gonna take a flyer on this guy and just hope that he pans out. This is a, uh, I mean, he's very very raw. Just a just a monster. He's a six eight, seven three wingspan, but not very good at basketball right now. But the the hope is that he would progress. He's only he's twenty years old. He'll fit right in. <laughs> yeah, the hope is that this might be another type of guy that you would try to draft and stash like a like a Jokic. You pick him in the second round and hope something good happens. But I mean. Again, he's just an absolute lottery ticket that I'm, I'm sure a lot of teams are looking at him exactly the same. They know that he's not going
0: to contribute.
1: He's a, he's the Bruno Caballo, two years away from being two years away, as they say.
0: <laughs> he, I mean, maybe he's a guy because there have been rumblings of the Knicks wanting to buy a second rounder this year, and you know if you can get something in the fifties, just buy a pick and stash this guy, see what happens. Sure, I don't yeah, give a shit. exactly. <laughs>
2: i think that that's how i feel about all the picks i mean certainly by 38 that's kind of how you have to feel
3: um (laughs) i think my other um my other big east guy that i mentioned on our first pod was marcus howard who is i think greg saw him play live but he's just a gunner the guy and he's he's in that same vein of guys who just jacks threes a ridiculous amount but he shot Forty-one percent from three on ten attempts a game, averaged twenty-seven point eight points this last season. Like, he's a very small guard. Is the problem? Uh, he's under six feet tall. So like, and he's a shoot-first guy. So, I think that's why he's so low on people's boards. But if he's a, he's a potential, you know, microwave scorer off the bench because the guy can shoot, and it, it's not easy shots he's taken. And he made over forty percent of them. So, over forty one percent of them so
2: man those numbers are crazy <laughs> yeah 28 in the, points in the big per east. game this year in the big east 25 last year 20 his sophomore year like wow yeah that, that dude's a score he's only 5 180 they have him listed here on sports reference but i would see i was going to bring up um grant riller as like the kind of microwave score he's six three, one ninety. 190 so so certainly bigger but he put up 22 points per game this year 22 points per game last year um he was shooting more closer than that like 36 percent range his whole career on just four attempts but you know your guy marcus howard jacking 10 a um, game that's yeah i'm that's telling something. you guys
3: if if you're one of the people i was talking about before who goes to play pickup and shoots dame dame lillard steph curry shots watch a marcus howard highlight clip because the guy the guy jacks them and they go in and it's it's very fun to watch
1: Good. I mean, we're, we're coming up on the end of this pod, but we got a couple final names to throw out there. BBD, I, I think you got one over there.
0: Yeah, I got one. This is a guy that I, I remember saying when uh did our lottery night, just throwing names out there, and I'm going to stick with him as an option at 38, Emmanuel, quickly, because he's a guard out of Kentucky. He shoots threes pretty well. Looks like he's going to project. The free throw shooting's good, too, so all that. Looks like good stuff trust Kentucky to turn out good guards I guess unless they end up on the Knicks which is kind of a bummer for this exercise but hmm. <laughs> other than yeah. that you can really rely on them to turn into useful players
1: yeah I don't know if anybody else has has anything also I wanted to say that Rui Hachimura is another good Gonzaga big in the NBA so maybe Killian Tilly is going to get the advantage just like all those Kentucky guys are getting I would like us
3: to get Killian Hayes with one pick and Killian Tilly with another.
0: Yeah, get get both Killians.
1: You got to. That's
3: they, then a, the Knicks, that
0: options out there. So
1: the Knicks would be Killian the draft if they did, they did that.
0: Oh. <laughs> here's
3: here's the thing about this draft, and I I'm gonna sound like a broken record, is that it's so variable that we just threw out like a ridiculous amount of names, and it's very likely that none of those guys end up on the Knicks.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's possible that nobody we talked about on either of the two podcasts end up on the Knicks. Crazy. <laughs> what a waste of time. <laughs> <have been. laughs> you guys just wasted your lives. And we just said uh, so many names over those two episodes. I mean, we're just we're just throwing darts at a board and hoping that something hits. And that, But the thing is, with the
3: Knicks, that's what everyone's doing because everyone's saying that they're not talking. And like this is another thing Tom and I talked about on the hike, but – Like, what people are pushing is the Leon Rose-CAA connection, but, like, there is nothing to back that up other than the fact that that's where Leon Rose came from. Like, the Knicks aren't giving up any info.
1: Yeah. Plus, and then the the Kentucky connection with them with hiring that assistant coach. Yeah. That's the other one. But, I mean, let's all make our our, our 38th pick, I guess. Maybe. I'll say Reggie Perry, because that's who I, I think I said last time, and that's who I like. I want.
3: I'm gonna go with Paul Reed. I don't. I. I'm much. I feel like I was. It sounded like I was more negative on him, but I think he's a, a player who can play as a role player in the NBA. I don't think he has a, a high upside as like an all
2: star. I think at 38, you're gonna be pretty negative on the person. Like, I mean, there's going to be ne- there's going to be negatives. I guess yeah. what I'm saying. Um, I'll go with Cassius Winston, out of Michigan State. Uh, Greg mentioned him earlier. This guy's a winner. Like, he's just. He was actually the 29th prospect in his draft class back in 2016 when he went to Michigan State, um, but I mean the guy can shoot. For his career, he was 43% from three over all four seasons um, on a sizable volume. So yeah, I, I like Cassius Winston. I think he'd be a good guy to bring in.
0: And I'm gonna stick with Emmanuel qu- quickly again because it's kind of funny to have the same 38th pick uh, the whole yeah. throughout this whole process. So I'm good with <laughs> I'm good with sticking with that guy. If, if you want me to say another name, but Isaiah Joe does interesting because he, he very well might be the best shooter.
1: But I, all right. That's so, all
0: I know about him. So Emmanuel. Hopefully,
1: hopefully one of the names one of us picked is right with any one of the Knicks picks. But I think that'll do it. We've, we've said a lot of names. We've given you a lot of analysis. So we'll be back after the draft. How are we going to be recording after the draft Wednesday or, or on Thursday and releasing on Friday? We'll, we'll see how we're feeling and how the Knicks do. But, you know, I can't wait for this draft to happen, and we'll talk to you all soon. Go Knicks. Knicks tape.